That's just wrong. Hey, good morning, everyone. Welcome to Essex Lions Church, whether here on this campus, North Avenue campus, watching online. We are so glad you're here this morning. And this is kind of a special day. We've kind of, we talked like back to church Sunday for, for, for some of you. Um, you haven't been here in person in maybe 18 months or longer. And so a good morning and a welcome to you. And for others of you, perhaps here for the first time, someone brought you or invited you to be here. And I just want to say a good morning to you. Uh, we have after the service, of course, this morning, you've been hearing about it for months. We have food trucks. They are lining themselves out there this morning. They won't be ready quite at 930. That's why they told me to go ahead and preach long. Uh, <clears throat> So they have time to get ready, but uh, most of those trucks will be there in place, ready by 10. And uh, we've got some exclusive time with the trucks from, you know, from basically 10, 10 to 11-ish, a little bit after. And then, of course, community's been invited in as well. And hopefully you'll do that. You just spend some time together. If you are new to the church, if this is your first time visiting, um, or maybe you feel new to the church, someone invited you this morning to be here, make sure you stop by the, the information desk. Yes, we have a little welcome uh, box for you. But also, if this is your first time, we have a little card you can pick up. You can take this card out to the food truck event and and go to the um, information tent that'll be in the middle of it all. Give them this card. They'll give you a $5 voucher uh, to use at any of the food trucks. And so if you're new or visiting, uh, we'd like to treat you to lunch or ice cream or whatever is you choose to have out there. Stop and get the card here. Take it out with you to the event. We'll give you a $5 voucher. Now, some of you are thinking, hey, uh, I know, I know exactly the way you're thinking. You know, you're kind of like, what's the deal there? So listen, if you're a regular tender and you're thinking, hey, what's the deal? Should have brought somebody new. You still have time. And or quickly look around, see someone you don't know, find out if they're new and say, hey, let's, let's go together. Okay, so that, those are your best options at this point, just so you know. Uh, and hopefully you'll stay uh, and uh, spend time afterward, maybe even go home and come back and spend some time this afternoon. Bounce castles for kids, music, uh, and of course, uh, happening on both campuses, North Avenue campus. Uh, again, same, same offer, same deal, only not food truck event in North Avenue campus. Uh, on, uh, on your campus, of course, we've got a community cookout today. And so burgers and bounce castles and hot dogs and those kind of things, snow cones and whatever. So uh, participate in the day. So <clears throat> this morning... <clears throat> We're going to begin a series together. We've been talking about it for some time, uh, entitled, I Have a Question. Uh, we're talking about questions. One of the things we've been talking about kind of leading up to this is answering people's questions they have about church, about God, about faith, about those kind of things. And whether you're here for the first time and you bring questions with you, or whether you're a church person and tend regularly, uh, you frequently, of course, talk to people who have questions and are bringing up some things. And so it's a, it's a series that will be for all of us as we kind of walk through some of the questions that we have. I have a question. And for every one of us, those questions are personal, meaning uh, they're different and unique. Now, there might be some common themes, which I'll mention here momentarily, but for every one of us, we've got some questions inside that are unique to us and our, our experiences and those kind of things. Now, my hope in these next couple of weeks together is to answer some of those questions that you've had. And we're certainly going to address some of those as we walk through this. But months ago, when we came up with the theme for the day and the title and kind of working that through, I confess to you I had a little different thought process than as I was getting ready. So I'm going to change a little bit the direction, but let me explain it. We're still going to talk about some of those questions, but let me give you some background and explain. So now we're a mixed group of people here this morning and every single Sunday. 
Uh, whether you take into account just who's in person <clears throat> on either campus or who's watching online, um, we are a mixed group of people. Some of us here are longtime followers of Jesus, devoted and true, uh, and you know wouldn't be anywhere else but in a church on Sunday worshiping God. You've had a long relationship with Jesus, and you just love every minute of it. That's that's that's, that's many of us, but that's not all of us. We are a mixed group. Some might be here for the first time, others for weeks or even years, who aren't really sure if you buy into the whole Jesus thing. You're here, but quite honestly, you have a lot of questions. You're not really sure if you believe or not. Some of us are here because a spouse has dragged you here, or maybe they didn't have to drag you. You're here, and you really don't believe it all, but you're a good spouse. And so your wife comes, or your husband comes, and you're going to come with them, and you're going to be there, though you really don't buy in. Some of us have left other churches, uh, left other religious backgrounds or experiences because you, you thought there was something more and, and something that you were missing, so you stumbled in here to see what it is. You're here, but some of you have your feet on the brake. Now, you know how that goes when you're teaching your kids how to drive for the first time, and you're over here in the passenger side, and man, your foot's just going through the floor, right? But you know, it's like they're driving, they're learning, and you're just you know, pumping away. And that's why the driver's ed cars have an, a break over there, <clears throat> so that it's functional. But some of you are there spiritually. Uh, in your walk with God or in your ex exploration of spiritual things. You know, you're here, but you, you got your foot on the brake and you're kind of going, hey, not, you know, not so fast. And for others of us yet, our, our feet aren't even on the brake because we're not even really in the car. You know, we're kind of standing alongside and trying to figure it out. All of that's okay. But let me begin with an observation. If you have heard the story of Jesus, if you heard the story of Christianity, um, you, you know, you, you've had enough contact with church, enough contact with people through the years that you kind of understand this whole thing called Christianity. You know there's, there's something about following Jesus. You know these people who claim to be Christians or believers. You've heard it all, but you have not decided to be a follower of Jesus. If you're not a follower of Jesus, you're not a Christian, you need to know that there's a reason that you're not. Now think about this. You've heard about Christianity. You've heard about the, the claims of Christ. You've heard about the Bible. Maybe you've been to church. Again, maybe, maybe one of those folks been here for a long time. And you've heard all about it, but you're still not a follower of Christ. You're still not a Christian. There's a reason that you're not. Now some of you are thinking, okay, what's the reason? Well, I don't know your reason. I'm, I, I'm not pretending to say like there's this <clears throat> key reason. <clears throat> there's many reasons, but there's a reason that you're not. There's some reason, some obstacle, some roadblock that has kept you from making that decision. If you're a regular church person, you mean you've been following Jesus for years. The people that you talk to about Christ, talk to about uh, the, this, this idea of following Jesus. If, if they're not responding that you may be talking to them, there's probably a reason. Not probably there is. There's some obstacles along the way. Let me talk, talk about some of those. And this morning, it's introduction for the next couple of weeks. So for some of you, you might be thinking, how can I follow a God with so much suffering in the world? You know, some of you would say, well, how do I can believe in a loving God when I see all these innocent people who suffer in the world? What kind of God is that? Okay, that, that could be your obstacle. Maybe that's where you're at. And, and if you would to say that, if that's how you feel, I would say to that, well, that's valid. That's a, good, that's a good question. That's something to look at and kind of go, yeah, how do we reckon that? Maybe your obstacle is, um, is that you're at, you're, you've known too many Christians. And you go, I don't want to be that. Please let me, just let me tell you right, front, right up front, there are some Christians where I look at them and say, I don't want to be that either. 
And so that's valid. See, any obstacle, we don't go, well, that's dumb. Or, you know, that's silly. We kind of, we say, well, yeah, that's valid. And some of you have seen some Christians say, yeah, I don't want to be like that. Or maybe you struggle with Christians because you see these Christians and you say to yourself, you know, my problem with Christianity is you guys think you're right. You guys think you're the only ones. There's all these other religions in the world. And yet you're the guys who say, all these religions out there, you're the ones who say, hey, there's only one way. Only one way, it's our way, it's Jesus, he's the way, there are no other ways. And you're thinking about how arrogant is that? Now Jesus might be a nice way, Jesus might be a really good way, but to proclaim that he's the only way, I mean arrogance. So that might be where you're at as well. Those are all valid feelings. Those are all issues that quite honestly, if we're honest with ourselves, we have to say, you know what, that's valid and needs to be responded to, no question about that. But let me tell you what one of the biggest reasons are that if you're not a follower of Jesus, why? And the biggest reason, the number one reason out there is you just don't care. Very sincerely, think about it, you just don't care. Someone says to you, you know, you should be a follower of Christ. And you're thinking to yourself, well, you might as well just say, I ought, I ought to be an astronaut. You might as well just say to me, I ought to be an Olympic skater. I ought to be a rock star. You say, I just don't care. It just doesn't do anything for me. Nothing inside of me kind of stirs when you say that thing. To every one of those, we say those are fair feelings, they're real feelings, something to be addressed. But let me tell you why we're not going to, I'm going to approach this differently and why I'm not going to go through, you know, six weeks, six questions and answer every question. You see, very few people actually ever embrace Christianity as a result of having their obstacles answered. Think about this. Very few people, including us, come to Christ, decide to follow him because our obstacles have been, have been answered. Now, it happens, but it's very, very real. Think about this. Someone says, I cannot believe, I cannot follow and believe that's a loving God when there's so much pain and suffering in the world by so many innocent people. And I hear you say that, and I say, hey, I got an article for you. Read this. And the article explains all about why there's pain and suffering in the world. And then you go, oh, well, now I get it. There's pain and suffering in the world because of Adam and Eve and the sin that came in and affects us all. It's a broken and fallen world. Yeah, I mean, let's follow Jesus. That doesn't happen. It doesn't happen that we make a decision to follow Christ because all of our obstacles have been answered. Now, there's no question that there are questions we have along the way that we might want answered, but it just rarely happens, if ever, that it goes down that way. It doesn't happen that way. I've met with people through the years because I, I love talking about spiritual things. I love talking about God. I love talking about people answering their questions and, and breaking down some of the barriers. And I will say that one of the biggest barriers often is, is people's perceptions of Christians and Christianity. So I love having conversations, especially if they don't really necessarily know I'm a pastor right away because I kind of sneak in under the guise of, you know, he seems like a reasonable guy. Then they find I'm a pastor and it's like, oh man, you know, what did I get into? But I kind of hope that before they find that out, they kind of go, okay, he's not so bad. But let me tell you this. Um, here's what one, what one writer wrote. Because I've spent time with folks, I answer an obstacle. And here's what happens. You can see this. They say, I got this problem. I say, okay, it's answer. Answer the problem. And they go, okay, well, I got another one. Yeah, okay, so we answer that one. And there's another one. Or the conversation gets done after we've addressed every obstacle. And they kind of go, okay, we'll have to think about it. Right? Why? Because we don't come to Christ because we have every objection answered. 
Now, here's what one writer observed. Adults who become followers of Christ, adults who become Christians, don't do so by working through their problems with Christianity. Generally, they, it's because something happens in their life that shrinks their problem or minimizes their problem. It means that this, that his, his observation is that most people don't decide to follow Christ, don't decide to believe in God because all their objections have been answered. Something's happened in their life that has taken their objections and have shrunk them down, have reduced their importance. They still have them, they're still there, but they're not quite as intense as they were before. If you have some major obstacles or no people with obstacles, you're deciding to follow Jesus or they're deciding to follow Jesus won't be because intellectually we have walked through and answered every objection. Instead, something happens that minimizes the objections and puts them in a different light. So, how are these things? I mean, how does this happen? For some, that moment that something changes could be a bad moment, meaning it could be life knocking the wind out of us. For many people, they've started their journey to God because, quite honestly, something happened in their life, knocked the wind out of it, a sickness hit, or a loved one became sick. Something happened, some kind of trouble came into their lives. And even though not a believer, they found themselves saying in some moment, Oh, God, if you're real, I need help. For some, it's been an addiction. Maybe you've struggled with an addiction to alcohol or drugs or whatever it might be. And you hit some low point where you go, I need help and it's beyond me. And you kind of go, oh God, if you're there, uh, help me. And here's the deal. In that moment when life has kind of knocked the wind out of you, you don't care whether Adam and Eve were real or a fictitious story, Right? When you're at a point where you need help on yourself, at that point, you really don't care all that much whether Jonah really got swallowed by a big fish or was it a whale or not. It kind of shrinks in size because there's an issue before you. I mean, that's the way that it works. That's one way. For others, and I've talked to numbers of you, some of you be there, for some, for some of you have been there in your life, you just start reading the Bible one day. You know, for whatever reason, someone challenged you or whatever reason, you picked up the Bible and started reading it. And though, though you didn't understand it, you kept reading and felt, kept feeling like, I got to do something about this. I got to do something. You read the pages and you have this feeling where you kind of go, oh, okay, God, I, I give up. Just by reading the Bible. So the approach I'm going to take a little differently will not be to take five or six weeks and answer all the five biggest objections to Christianity. You see, Christianity is not about all these different categories or objections, the Bible, God, suffering, pain, all those things. It's not about checking off a list of answers. It's about a personal relationship. It's it's that something personally has to happen. So I'm not going to go down the six weeks, six biggest questions. Now, some of you are thinking, hey, hold on, wait a minute. I see what you're doing here. So I see what you're doing here. You're trying to take my intellectual questions and you're going to try to put them aside and you're kind of trying to give me some smoke screen of, of um, you know, personal stuff as opposed to really answering the questions. No, I'm not. Um, you're smarter than that. So yeah, I know I'm not going to put that by you. 
And so along the way, we'll answer some of those questions. But I'm not going to try to, to uh, dodge anything. But I just want to speak to what I know is true as to how we operate in our lives. See, what I'm talking about, about having objections or things, and then all of a sudden having something happen that makes the objections get minimized, happens in many areas, not just in this issue of Christianity. Let me give you an example. I could, I could choose men or women, but I'll stick with the men because I understand them a little better. I don't understand the other side at all. So I'm stick with the men here. And so let me just talk to the men who are married, married men for just a moment. So the married men in the group. Uh, and let me, let me quickly kind of ask you to go back in time. Married men, do you remember a time, some of you, and do you remember some of the reasons that you had for not getting married back when you were young and single? You know, you're young and single and somebody says, hey, why don't you get married? Do you remember some of the reasons or some of the thoughts that you might have had back then? You know, somebody says, well, why don't you settle down and get married? And you're thinking, ah, no way. I want my freedom. I want my freedom. I just, I just like, the, I like the freedom. I don't want to be tied down. I'm happily single. I mean, I, I go out when I want to go out. I, I golf when I want to golf. I itch where I want to itch. I, you know, I watch sports when I want to watch sports. Um, I'm saving my money or spending on what I want. No, uh, that's for somebody else. I want to stay the way I am. Maybe some would say, hey, I saw my parents' relationship. And I've seen enough bad marriages. You kind of think, I don't want that. So what were some of your reasons? I was in college. I went to a Christian college, small Christian college. And when you date someone, and I dated a number of girls in school, when you date someone in a small Christian college, like one year of dating in a Christian college is like three years of dating, accelerated dating in the world. Because you think about it, in a small Christian college, you see each other every single day. You have every meal together if you want to. You study, I mean, you're just there all the time. You know, in the real world, you got jobs and you see each other once or twice a week. So it's an accelerated thing. One, one year Christian college is like, you know, maybe five years in the world. I mean, it's very accelerated. So along the way, my other male friends would say, when you get married, you know, I'd be dating different girls, and of course, you date them, you know, again, if, if like one year is equivalent of three to five, you know, one month is like long enough to know. And so, I'd be dating someone, and they'd say, so what are you going to get married? Slocum, go, Slocum, what are you, what's holding you back? And here was my answer for years. I said, listen, I'll get married the day that I have a dog, a motorcycle, and a boat. <laughs> Not until... When I have my dog, I love dogs. When I have my motorcycle, when I have my boat, then I'll consider marriage not until. That was my thought process. That was kind of my thinking of I want those things before I decide to get married. Now, folks, <clears throat> think about this. I've never met a married man who got married because he worked through all of his issues and questions. I've never met a married man who said, well, I finally decided to get married because I had these 12 objections. And so I went through and I took time to mark off either one. 20 years later, I have enough money in the bank and blah, blah, blah. Now I'm ready to get married. I've never met anyone like that. I've never met a person who made a list of all their issues, worked them through each one, checked them all off and say, now it's time to get married. I worked through my commitment issue. I've done my savings issue. No, a married guy doesn't just work through the issues. Something happens along the way. What is it? I met Diane, right? Something happens along the way. It's not a checkbox of things. In my case, I met Diane. And all of a sudden, I'm thinking maybe I'll get married. What happened to the dog, the motorcycle, and the boat? <laughs> what dog? Um, 
To the point, I was so adamant through the years of making that statement, at our rehearsal dinner, my groomsmen wanted a couple of moments to talk publicly, and they did, and they had some gifts for me, for us. They gave me a matchbox motorcycle. <laughs> they gave me a matchbox little car pulling a boat. And then they had this envelope. And they handed us, Diane and I both, they handed us a certificate from a pet, ch a pet chain for a dog. And they said, listen, we can't stand the fact that for your whole life you have said you will not until these three. We want you to be truthful. <laughs> so now you can get married because you have your motorcycle, you have a boat, and you have a certificate. We have bought a gift certificate for you to go buy a dog. And we said, well, what if we don't want to buy a dog? You know, Diane was a little leery to say, yeah, you know, what if we don't want to buy a dog? And they said this, we guarantee that the dog that you choose will be better than the St. Bernard that we choose. <laughs> you got two months to buy your puppy or we're buying you a puppy and dropping it off at your door. We got our puppy. We did not. I know, I know them. We got our dog. So, but here's the whole point of this. This is very important. You see, what happened is this. I met Diane. Before I met her, guys, before you met her, or ladies, before you met him, because it applies both sides, marriage was just a category. Think about it. Up to that point when someone said, why don't you get married? It's just a category. But now it's not. Now it's about a person. So now they said, why don't you marry Diane? See, now it's personal. It wasn't just before that. It was a bunch of issues to mark off, things to think through. But now it's real, and now it has to be addressed. You see, as long as it was a category, an abstract thing of obstacles, well, then, well, I don't want to go. I don't want to do that. I don't want to, I want to have this in place, all that. But after you meet someone, it's no longer a category. Now it's a person. Now, here's my statement to you. My obstacles didn't go away. They just shrunk. The obstacles that were keeping me from you didn't go away. They were still there, but they just got smaller. You see, people don't decide to follow Jesus because you've settled all your obstacles. Something happens, something good, sometimes bad, that shrink the obstacles. So listen, if you have obstacles, if you're talking to folks that have obstacles, keep those obstacles right in front of you. No one's going to try to say, push them aside. In fact, we'll answer some along the way without question. But if you think you're going to follow Jesus, if you think someone you care about is going to follow Jesus because you've answered every obstacle, you could not be more wrong. Something has to happen that makes it personal. So before we end, let me give you a Bible story. And let me illustrate this piece. In John chapter 1, we have this incredible story. It's a simple story of a guy named Philip and a guy named Nathaniel. I'll read the story for you, but here's the, the piece to grab a hold of. Jesus is beginning his ministry years, and he is now building his team. So this is the time where he's building his disciples. He's choosing his disciples. And here's the text from John chapter 1, verse 43. The next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Now, finding Philip, he said to him, follow me. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. And Philip found Nathanael and told him, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nazareth? Can anything good come from Nazareth? Nathanael asked. 
Come and see, said Philip. When Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said of him, here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. How do you know me? Nathanael asked. Jesus answered, I saw, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. And then Nathanael declared, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Jesus decides to go up to the Galilee region, and that's an area he was well familiar with. It's an area that he spent a lot of time with. He sees Philip, and he says to Philip, follow me. Now, some of the back, background story here is that Philip had seen enough of Jesus, have heard enough of Jesus, that we're thinking that Philip was in a place that he'd seen enough, heard enough, where he's kind of thinking this. You know, listen, if you're, if you're willing to ask me to be a part of your inner circle, I'm in. And so he says to Philip, pretty straightforward, follow me. And Philip goes, yep, in. I, I will follow you. Immediately in the story, Philip goes and finds his good friend, Nathaniel. We're guessing the fact that they would have been really close friends because it's very specific that he goes to find this particular individual. And so he literally goes to find Nathaniel. He's pretty wound up. He's pretty excited about who Jesus is. Jesus says, follow me. He says, yes. But you get, you get the, meat, the, the sense there as he talks to Nathaniel that, I mean, he's not just in and following Jesus. He really understands this is the one. This is the guy. This is the guy we've been waiting for. So he finds Nathaniel pretty excited and says to Nathaniel, verse 45, he says, listen, this is the one, uh, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Now, you have to understand something, this would have been huge. Don't forget that for hundreds and hundreds of years, all of Israel had been waiting for the Messiah to come. God had given them a promise that he was going to send to them the Messiah. They've been watching and watching and watching for hundreds of years. In fact, there are many Jewish people that just quit watching because they figured God has abandoned us. I mean, God said he was going to send someone. He's had hundreds of years to do it. Why this year? Some of you feel that way in your own life sometimes when you're asking God to do something in your life. God, I've been waiting for you to do this and waiting and waiting and waiting. Why would I think you'll do it now? Don't you quit hope. Don't you give up on faith? Because we don't see the timeline that God sees. We don't know all the details that, 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 that we can't see that he sees. So a lot of Jews actually gave up. But all of a sudden, Philip sees Jesus. Jesus calls him. And Philip goes, man, this is the guy. This is the one. And so he goes and he finds his friend Nathaniel. And he says, he says listen, we found him. We found the one that Moses wrote about, that the prophets wrote about. And then he even says, who? He says, we found the guy. We find the guy that we want. Oh, the prophet's been talking about this guy. We found him. And his name is Jesus of Nazareth. And Nathan, Nathaniel knows the name Jesus of Nazareth. He was known at that point in time, perhaps. Hadn't really started the real public ministry yet, but here's the statement. But immediately, immediately, here's Nathaniel's response. We know the guy. We found him, Jesus of Nazareth. And his first words were, Nazareth? Nazareth? What good comes out of Nazareth? You see, Nathaniel was not impressed. Nazareth was not on, if you put Nazareth where you last worked or where you came from, was you wouldn't put that on your resume. Because that was not going to go well for you. 
Nazareth was looked at negatively, not positively. Now, what's interesting, we have all sorts of history, historical document, documentation that Nazareth and the people of Nazareth were not seen favorably. It was, a, it was a negative thing to be from Nazareth, but we don't know why. We don't have any reason why it was, but the biblical scholars would say for some reason, something about Nazareth. Maz, Nazareth just did not inspire trust. If you were going to be the Messiah, you'd come from anywhere but from Nazareth. Let me give you an example. Let's just say for a moment, you've got some rare disease, really, really rare, and you're dying from it. You're, it it's killing you. You've been to every specialist in the world, and it's so rare, there is no cure. There's no one that can help you. And one day I walk up to you and say, hey, hey, hey. I found a guy who has the cure for your disease. You go, really? I said, I'm not kidding. I found the guy. Well, where, where, where is he from? I mean, is he, is he at UVM at the medical center? Is he from Burlington? I mean, is he in Hanover down at Dartmouth? And he, Mass General, is he from Boston, uh, New York, Philadelphia? Where is he from? I go, Norton. <laughs> and you go, Norton, Norton where? Norton, Norton, Vermont. And you kind of know Norton, and you kind of go, Norton? I mean, the, up the Canadian border, Norton? Yeah, yeah, Norton. Population 169, last census. And you go, what's the chances of this rare disease and not one of the great medical centers of the world have an answer, but you got a guy from Norton. Now, first of all, let me say this. If you are from Norton, <laughs> if you are from Norton, if you're watching from Norton, I am so sorry. I, I chose Norton because I drove through Norton. And I got to tell you, there's not a lot in Norton. Um, but if you're from Norton, we love you. We love Norton. So don't take offense to it. I mean, it may, but did you get that right? If I came and said that to you, you would look at me and say this. You got my hopes up for someone from Norton. You've got to be kidding me. Now, at this point, it's interesting in the story. Philip does a great thing. Philip in the story could have really blown this moment. He could have sat down and said, so you got, you got issues with Nazareth? So let's, let's talk that through. So sit down, Nathaniel. Let's talk through your issues with Nazareth. Let's kind of work it out. And if he had, they could have well spent hours and hours. They could have spent the day talking through all the issues of Nazareth. All the reasons why Nazareth has this bad reputation. Um, but what Philip does and what he illustrates is what's been happening in people's lives for thousands and thousands of years. Listen carefully. If you are not a follower of Christ, you've heard the story. Philip exemplifies the key that just might make you cross over the line to say, I'll follow Jesus. If you are talking to people about, their, about you know, thinking about God, about following Christ, anything like that, let me tell you the key, and the key is not the solving of the obstacle. The key is not saying, let's talk about Nazareth for this moment. I mean, he does something absolutely brilliant. This is so cool as what he does. Here's what he says in verse 46. Come and see. Don't miss the beauty of that short little statement. Come and see. Come and see. This is so good. If you're a person who has some major legitimate obstacles to why you hesitate to follow Jesus Christ, this part of the story coming up next, the Bible affirms your honesty. 
The Bible affirms your intellectual question. Jesus himself affirms that you, that you, that you, if you haven't seen it and you're slow to believe it, he goes, it's okay. He affirms all of that. Here's what happens in verse 47. So when Jesus saw Nathanael, so Nathanael says, okay, he goes with him. When Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said of him, here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. If you have legitimately wondered about this thing called God or Christianity, legitimately wondered about the Bible, about Jesus Christ, this is the moment where Jesus Christ declares to everyone, as he does to Nathaniel, it's okay. It's okay. He looks at Nathaniel and he says, here's a man with no deceit. Here's a guy who's not fake. Here's a guy who's not phony. Here's a guy who's not going to pretend. Now, side note for you, let's be honest, some obstacles are smoke screens. Some people have these list of obstacles because they, 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 they're just not going to make a decision. They don't want to make a decision. Maybe it's because I don't want to have a lifestyle change. Maybe it's because even though there are certain things you know about Christianity that you know, I just, that's not, I don't want to go there. And so we throw the obstacles out there. That's why you can answer all the obstacles in the world and a person still may not say yes. But Jesus says, listen, you have legitimate questions. You've got legitimate issues. Fantastic. Here's a guy who's going to be truthful, who's going to be honest. He's not going to be fake. He's not going to pretend. Here's a guy who's going to be honest with himself and honest with others. If he's got questions, he's going to ask them. If you've got real questions, good for you. And here's what I need you to see. Here is where everything changes. Here in the story is this key piece that I want you to begin to understand. At that point, Nathaniel asks the right question. And the right thing changes in this dialogue. Nathaniel says to Jesus, how do you know me? How do you know me? Back when he was talking to Philip, it was all about the category. Don't forget that. Back when Philip was talking to him, it's all about Nazareth. It's all about Nazareth. How can anything good come out of Nazareth? And now it's not. Now it's about, well, how do you know me? Verse 48. How do you know me? Nathaniel asked. Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. I saw you way back. I know you really well. See, this is so cool at this moment. At that point in time, he goes, Nazareth seems to be a hang-up for me back then, but right now, I'm just kind of stuck with who you are and how it is that you know me. Because when it got personal to Nathaniel, the Nazareth thing just shrunk, right? When it gets personal, the obstacles don't necessarily go away. The obstacles aren't answered, but all of a sudden they shrink in magnitude and in size. It went from intellectual to personal. It went from categories of things to a relationship that had to be thought through. And then he says in verse 49, then Nathanael declared, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. And Jesus said, you believe because I told you, I saw you under the fig tree. You will see greater things even than that. Now, here's the thing about the story. We don't know if old Nate ever got his questions answered about Nazareth. We don't know if there was ever a debate where Nathaniel finally said to Jesus, hey, I got a question I got to ask you. You know, I get Messiah, I'll follow you, I'm in. But Nazareth? I mean, why couldn't you come from Jerusalem? You know, why not from Bethlehem? But, you know, it never got solved. That we know of, there was never a debate, and it doesn't mean that it got answered or went away. It just meant it lost its importance. 
Why? Because this guy, this honest guy, this no-nonsense guy, this guy who was truthful and transparent guy became a follower of Jesus while there were still questions to be answered, but he did so because it became personal. Friends, that's how thinking, intellectual, rational people become followers of Christ. And my prayer for us in these next few weeks is that all of us would get to know Jesus in a personal way and accordingly the obstacles will shrink. The obstacles will, will be minimized in size. You know, the religious leaders, we go back and read the stories of Jesus, the religious leaders are always trying to trap him and always trying to trick him. The Bible tells us there's this one day where they think they've got him. You see, the religious leaders knew the law inside and out. They had the Ten Commandments. They had all of the Old Testament law. And just so you know, every law was as important as the next or the last. I mean, they were all important. You couldn't say, I'll choose this law or not that law. That was, you, you couldn't do that. I mean, the law was a law. So they think they have Jesus where they go to him and say, we got a question for you there, teacher, rabbi. Um, of all, you know, we got a lot of laws here. You know, God gave us the, Moses, the law of Moses. We got a lot of stuff there. But which one do you think is the most important? And if he answers at all, they feel like they've got him. Because all he has to do is say this one. And if he says this one, they've got him because he's rejected all the others. No one has the authority to pick and choose which laws they were. So they think they have him. So which law do you think is the most important? But not only is Jesus' answer perfect for that moment, it's perfect for this moment. And it's perfect for any person that ever wonders about God, ever wonders about this thing called following Jesus. And here's how he answers. Jesus says this, and notice the order here. He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, with all your strength. Because I'll tell you the most important, important commandment, love God. Love him with all your heart and love him with all your soul. And bring along the mind and strength will follow as well. And then, of course, he says, and the second most important is love your neighbor. But he says, the most important thing, so they, they, they don't have him anymore. Because he didn't pick one. He didn't pick one. He took all the law and said, the most important thing is for you to love God. You see, the initial invitation by Jesus is not to get all your questions answered, though he does not minimize your questions. And here is my struggle. Here's our struggle. And we see it actually in the verse. You see, for years, I've tried to find my way to God. I've tried to find my way through a tough situation with my mind first. I've tried to get the intellectual answers. I've tried to get the check, the check the box off. I've tried to go through and, and get my categories. I've, I want to get my mind settled, and then perhaps I can give my heart and soul to him. But I want to get the mind settled first. But notice the order. He says, first your heart, then your soul. And then the mind. God wants you to love him more than he wants you to understand him. And that's really hard because a lot of us go, I just got to understand this. If you wait to understand it all, you will never follow Jesus. He wants you to love him more than understand him. He doesn't start with getting all of your questions answered. It starts by knowing him and then the answers follow. Your heavenly father wants you to know him more than he wants you to know all about him. And there's a bunch of us that know all about him. And we just don't know him. We just don't know him. And before you balk at that idea, isn't that true of you? 
Isn't that true of you with your relationships with other people? Don't you in your heart say, I want people, the people in my life, I want them to know me and I want them to love me before they know all about me. I want them just to know me and love me as opposed to getting every question answered about me. I just want them to know me. So here's my ending challenge for you as we begin our series together. I don't know if you're a prayer or not, and that doesn't go to someone who's new. That goes to people who've been here a long time. I don't know if you're a prayer or not. I don't know if you find yourself saying, I'm not even sure how to pray. I don't know what that means. I'm going to ask everyone that's hearing this message or watching online, whatever it might be, I'm going to ask you to pray a very specific prayer this next week. I'd like you to pray this. Heavenly Father, doesn't matter who you are, first-time visitor, long-time church attender. Heavenly Father, I want to know you more than I want to know the answers to all my questions. Heavenly Father, if you can be known, then I want to know you. I realize that if I get answers to all my questions, I still won't know you. I'll just have my questions answered. So, Heavenly Father, and he, he loves for you to see him as your Heavenly Father. Heavenly Father, if you exist, if you are real, I want to know you personally. Please, God, help me know you. Now, that's a prayer he loves to answer. And that's a prayer that he will answer whether you know him or don't know him. If you're a longtime follower of Jesus, you practice a week of every day saying, Lord, today I want to know you better, not just about you. That's a prayer he loves to answer. See, once you know him, he won't throw out all your questions. He won't call them stupid or say they're not valid. You see, when you pray to your heavenly father, it makes it personal. And God can't wait to have a deeper, more personal relationship with every single one of us. So there's our introduction as we walk through these couple of weeks. We're going to some Bible stories of people where it got personal. And you might fit into one of the stories that you hear and read about. Let's stand, please, and pray. Lord, I think about my own life, how true some of these things we've talked about today are. That, that I, I, I didn't come to you by a checklist of things. And when I'm struggling with an issue, I, I, I don't get there for intellectually getting, getting an answer to every question. But when it all gets personal with my walk with you, it's amazing how things change. I, I get my questions answered, but it's always interesting. I get them answered at that point. Usually I don't care because I know you. So for the person who's not a follower of Christ, who has legitimate questions, Lord, please keep, help them keep those questions right in front of them. No way in the world will we throw those aside. But I also ask that every one of us, new or, uh, or new or a longtime attender, every one of us would say, the real issue is, God, I really need to know you and that we get to know you personally. Dismiss us today in your grace, in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you.